0: All right, I'll do Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome into to Trailblazers here on SENZ for another week. I'm Ricky Swanell. Thanks for being with us. And well, this week, my guest, well, she Quite literally is blazing a trail without wanting to go too corny on it. Ruth Croft is one of the world's best, well, trail runners, ultramarathon runners, cross country, mountain runner, you name it. She has done it and she is one incredible woman with an incredible amount of stamina. So looking forward to this conversation. Ruth Croft, welcome to Trailblazers. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thanks, and thanks for having me on.
0: Cool, so looking forward to this chat. I want to start, you are a West Coaster, and I feel like the West Coast almost has, like for the rest of us, particularly people like me, city people, this kind of mythical uh, proportion to it. What is it about the coast that makes it so special?
1: Um, I definitely think a big part of it is the the people. Um, But then also, yeah, I think for people outside the coast, we get a bit of a bad rap. A lot of the time that it rains here, that it's pretty grim. Um, but I think growing up here, you have to learn to be quite resilient. You have to, yeah, you get you get used to living and training in the rain. Um, and yeah, it's just a great place to grow up. Yeah, pretty so much.
0: We, what, so where where are you from? What part of the coast are you from? It's a pretty vast part of the country.
1: Yeah. So I grew up uh, just outside of Greymouth. So 15k's out in the place called Stillwater, you kind of, you'll blink if you miss it, between Greymouth and Lake Brunner. Is it, I
0: think probably a reputation to hardworking people, just good, good old-fashioned Kiwis, basically. What sort of, you know, growing up in an environment like that, how does that kind of instilled in you and, and what you do?
1: Yeah, I think a part of it is definitely the hardworking aspect that was pretty ingrained in me, not just, and it's not just from my parents, but people in the community. Um, and there's a lot of people that have done well in sport on the coast, and you've got people like Dave McKenzie who won the Boston Marathon. You got Eddie Gray who was um, like third, no third in the world cross country. Mm. Um, and then you've got people like Paul Cole who's doing really well with squash at the moment. And so I think, yeah, growing up here, those values are pretty well instilled in you from a young age. Do you keep
0: that, that coast connection when you you head off around the world? On, I think you're based in Wanaka now and stuff, but you get back there as much as you can?
1: Yeah, we actually spend, end up spending more and more time on the coast because <laughs> obviously my family's here, and I just love coming back. Um, yeah, it's a pretty... When I was younger, I couldn't wait to to leave here, but now nah, when I'm older, it's just like my favorite time of the year is just coming back and connecting again with with friends and family and spending time here. Yeah,
0: well, growing up there, I mean, what are, what are the challenges? I guess when you are growing up there and it's pretty isolated at times, and and that remoteness, what's what what is that? What is that like in your younger days?
1: Um, well, yeah, we are remote, but then also I remember growing up, we had a lot of opportunities to do. Like every sport under the sun, so I think as coast kids, we we did do a lot of sports. So did uh, like touch and cricket, tennis, squash, like netball, basketball, all of that. But then obviously, yeah, you come from Greymouth. Like we didn't have McDonald's, even KFC, we didn't have for a long time. We don't have traffic lights, and I remember we don't have a synthetic track either. And so I remember I'd be training for. World Juniors, which would be obviously in the Northern Hemisphere, so it would be in the summer, so it was winter um, on the coast in New Zealand, and then I'd be down at the grass track and it would be in flood. Um, so I'd get kicked off that and told to go to a rugby field, and I had my coach's uh, GPS watch at the time, which was took up half your arm, um, and I was doing steeplechase as well, and so he, my coach had made me um, some steeples from like plumbing, and so I'd put them up and this, this field was right by the ocean. And so we tried to run 400 metres. You get halfway around and all your steeples have like blown over. And so you don't have everything at your fingertips, but you have to be very adaptive. And so I think that is kind of a skill that has helped me a lot through my career. Like, obviously, things don't always go your way, but it's just kind of how can you make the best of the situation um, and make it work in your favour. So I think, yeah. Yeah, it's it sounds like it the, breeds resilience. Yeah, definitely. Like, <laughs> you turn up to to even like a cross-country meet and you've had th- three weeks of rain. You're like, well, I bet you my, com- my competitors haven't been training in this kind of condition. So it definitely does help you like mentally, I think be a bit bit tougher. Mm.
0: Yeah. When when you were younger, and and I guess competing against uh, in the South Island, and and probably uh, you know uh, athletes from the Big Smoke or anything like that, did you ever have that? Oh, you know, that sort of small town mentality or that you, you couldn't match it with with those resources or whatever. Or did it did doing it the way you did go actually? I can kind of do anything.
1: Um, I think it was good. yeah, it kind of worked in my favour more so than not. Like. We'd do our cross-country meets on the coast, and it would be on a farm. And I remember one year, um, the farmer forgot to turn off the electric fence. Um, and then you'd go to Christchurch, where the cross-country would be in Hackley Park, and <laughs> I'd kind of be like, well, this isn't the proper cross-country. So I think it definitely it definitely just makes you a lot lot tougher, um, and so it's helped in, in more aspects, I think.
0: D- did you um, have a tangle with said electric fence? Is that how you found out he'd forgotten? Oh,
1: yeah, well, I we went under it and I got
0: zapped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Hey, I, was, I was watching um, something earlier today, and, and I think it was your, your massage therapist, and he said that you were born to run. And you said you mentioned you played all these different sports and tried different things, but what was it all? How did, how did running become your thing?
1: Um, I think it's just when you're younger and if you do something that you do well at, you kind of just gravitate towards it. And so (laughs) I think I probably wasn't good enough in the other sports and then I did running, I did okay in it. So I was like, oh, it that And then when you do well in something when you're younger, I think it brings you a bit more confidence in yourself. And so that's why I kind of gravitated more to running. Mm -hmm. It was just like I had a bit of natural talent at the beginning. And I also think it was just like I was able to work hard too.
0: Yeah, because a lot of, and I think you're either a runner. Or I'm definitely not a runner, so I was. I always think for people who are really good at it, at make and make it look so effortless. That's how I'd like to be, but that is not the case. But is there a, is there a freedom to running? Um, I guess a self reliance to running that you don't get with other sports that just suits some some people and some kids.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, for me, it's very much the simplicity of it. You just need a pair of shoes. Um, and yeah, you can do it anywhere in New Zealand. We've got trails at, at your back door, pretty much everywhere. Um, so I like that. And for me, it's my passion, but also that that moment I can get into where it's that flow state where everything's just it feels easy. It feels like I'm very present, and that's where I'm meant to be at that moment.
0: At what point, Ruth, did you go from sort of being a good kid runner to being? competitive through high school and, and and really taking on and making your New Zealand age grade teams and all of that?
1: Um, so I went, ended up going to boarding school in Christchurch and so my uncle used to pick me up on the weekends. Um, he claims to be my first coach, actually.
0: <laughs> Fair, take it, take it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> Better give him some credit. Um, and so he would pick me up and take me on the Fort Hills running for like 90 minutes, which was quite a long time um, for how old I was. And then after that I got a coach, actually, in Christchurch, and started um, competing, um, and then got opportunities to represent New Zealand. And as a junior, not to running cross country and, and athletics and track.
0: And, and what were some of those experiences like? Uh, you know, representing New Zealand at a young age, going overseas from the coast to, to you know to international events and or national events even.
1: Um, I think it was helped me more on like a personal level. Just getting like I went to China when I was sixteen. And for me, that was, yeah, it was such an experience to get out of New Zealand, but also see a, a completely different culture. Um, and then also, yeah, I'd go to Turkey and then I'd be around people like John and Wyatt, who he actually coaches me now, um, but he was six times world mountain running champion. And so he was a really good role model um, at the time. And I think it just gave me that opportunity to experience the world a bit more and kind of that curiosity which kind of stemmed, like it allowed me to go to the States and be okay going there and then moving to Taiwan and living there. So, yeah, I think it helped a lot.
0: Yeah, so you went to to college in in the States, I think it was Portland, but wasn't kind of what you were hoping it would be?
1: No, I, I got over there. Um, I'd worked for a couple of years after high school and then decided to take up a scholarship to the University of Portland and, kind of got there and then had a string of injuries for about four years. And so my running really regressed. Um, It was just a very different kind of culture where you come from New Zealand, where we hardly ever ran on concrete. We did most of our sessions on a grass track. Um, You go to the college system where we had 20, 25 girls on the team, um, and it would be the top seven that would go to the main meets. And so it was kind of as a freshman coming on, you've got to kind of prove yourself, but also work out where you are in the pecking order and I didn't really have a lot of confidence in myself at the time to do what I knew I needed to do for myself and obviously easy runs would end up a lot harder than what they needed to be um, and I just didn't do so well on the program there.
0: What about I guess from, from the other side, the, the, the schooling and the actual work, did, did, was there an enjoyment there or was it just an all-round kind of tough time because the running wasn't working out how you wanted it to?
1: Um, I think initially, because I'd never been injured up until that point, and so when I first got injured, it made everything else in my life kind of suffer as well, and then I got to this point where I was like, okay, just because the running's not going well, it doesn't mean the rest of aspects of my life have to kind of turn to shit as well, and so um, I put, uh, probably did a bit too much partying after that, um, but I loved the experience, I had an amazing time over there, like, got an education, and made some really great friends and, yeah, got to experience another culture. Mm. So, yeah, definitely just because the running wasn't going well, um, I would still made the most of the opportunity.
0: Was there any time of, uh, say, your, your sort of cross-country background and that sort of stuff, of looking at marathon or, or, or Olympic Commonwealth Games, that kind of type of running?
1: Um, so because by the time I finished in the States and finished at university, I was actually pretty burnt out by running. And so that was never – because up, up until that point, running had really dictated where I what I do in my life. Mm. Um, it had dictated going to the States. And so uh, when I graduated, I didn't want it to be the thing that I was – yeah, to be the driving force of what I did next. Um, and so I actually decided to give running up, and I moved to Taipei, Taiwan after that.
0: Why did you go to Taipei?
1: Yeah. <laughs> A lot of people are. <laughs> I mean, of all the
0: places. I mean, I'm sure it's lovely, but random.
1: I was. I kind of just one of those people who've never really known what to do with my life, and um, so I'd been to China when I was 16, and I just loved the experience of being in Asia. Um, and kind of had applied for a teaching English job in Taiwan, and I got it. And so actually, not much thought went into it. I was just like, okay, I'm going to go to go to Taiwan. Even, didn't really know much about the culture or, or the country or anything, so. Yeah, and got a job, so I was like, "That's where I'm going to go."
0: Would you? you, I mean, are you a relatively impulsive decision maker, or is it you know is there more thought to it than just I'll apply for this job and I'll move to Taiwan?
1: It was just I was at this point where I needed to make a decision because it was like my visa was up in the states, and I didn't want to stay in the US and work. I could have put it extended for a year if I wanted to stay there and work, but I didn't. Um, And I also didn't want to go back to New Zealand, so I was like, okay. that's my option at the time. Well, you've got to take what comes to you, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Timing's right. And I was like, at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to New Zealand as well. Yeah,
0: exactly. Well, it did work out. So we'll take a quick break here uh, and come back with a bit more uh, with Ruth Croft on my guest on Trailblazers here on SENZ. Thanks for being with us on SENZ, I'm Ricky Swanell. you're listening to Trailblazers and we are talking about the running career or the early stages of the running career with Ruth, Ruth Croft. You, you, you said, Ruth, after your time in US college you, you were burnt out, you didn't want to run and, that, and you ended up and going to teach English in Taipei, so how did you get back to running?
1: Um, so I got to Taiwan and ended up doing a lot of partying and put on a lot of weight and so I decided I needed to just get back into running for like my health and get some fitness back. Um, and at the time when I moved to Taiwan, I didn't know anyone, so I joined. They call it Hash Harriers. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, they call it the running club with a drink. no, yeah, the running no the dr- running club with a drinking problem. <laughs> and so you you would meet or the drinking club every- with a run- running problem. Yeah, yeah, No, it was definitely the running club with drinking a drinking club with running. No, it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't remember. One anywhere. way around, He, he was, was drinking and he yeah. was running. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, we would meet every Sunday. There would be a different location around Taipei. Um, and how it works is you have one person who is the hare and they go off and mark a trail with flour. Um, and then like 10 minutes later, everyone else starts and you've got to find the route and the goal is to try and catch the hare. Um, and so that was a way of meeting people and then also I just started doing the odd road race and that and obviously I didn't speak Chinese at the time and so I'd often um, not be able to sign up for races on time because I need to get someone to help me and so I signed up wanted to do the North Face 15k as a trail race but it was sold out by the time I got around to it and so I the 50k was still open and so that was kind of my first step into ultras from there.
0: What, it's, what a fun way to, to meet people. And, and did, is that a way just to kind of regain the love? Is that how it was?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was kind of like I'd come back to running on my own terms. I didn't have a coach telling me what to do. Um, and also running or sport in general when you're in a foreign country or move to a new city, it's a great way of, yeah, of making friends, of meeting like-minded people. And so I kind of just used it as a tool to help me integrate into life in Taiwan.
0: So then, as so you say, so started I guess a, a toe into the waters of these of these ultra events. What is it about them and and, and the trail running and the, like the ex terrors and stuff that is just slightly different that that kind of captured you?
1: And um, I think it was a place that, to begin with. It was I used it as a way to travel around South Southeast Asia and Asia and that. Um, and so I did a race up Mount Fuji, went to Borneo, and did a race up Mount Kinabalu. Um did an ultra that started at the at Everest Base Camp. And so wow. it was just the locations that it was taking me to pretty much. But also I think once you start getting into the trail running world and ultra running, it's a very welcoming community, very inclusive. And so it was also just a lot of the people that I met were, yeah, great people. And I got to travel to some amazing locations as well.
0: Well, I, I guess there's an element too of, of – there, there's some extremities and a little bit of risk with that kind of running in the places that you do go, so that community must become very tight-knit and, and really look out for each other?
1: Yeah, definitely, and I know what we do is if you don't run ultras, you think it's pretty crazy. Yes. It does not make sense, but when we all hang out together, well, this is it becomes our normal, and so we don't really see it as this extreme or crazy sport. <laughs>
0: Do you get ever get sick of people calling you guys crazy?
1: Um, not really, because I hang out with a lot of ultra runners.
0: <laughs> I came into the studio today, and, and they are like, oh, who are you talking to? I was like, oh, Ruth Croft. And they're like, oh, she does all that mad running, eh?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even drive my car that far. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> when, when you were getting into it and, and getting back in, into running, at what point did you think, okay, I'm I'm back in here, and I'm, I want to compete? getting back with a coach and all of that sort of side to it?
1: Um, I suppose it was when I'd done quite a few races in Asia and I knew that if I wanted to make more of it, I needed to get into Europe. I needed to get into like, quite competitive ultras. Um, and so, yeah, it was probably at that point, a maybe two or three years into living in Taiwan, I decided, yeah, that I kind of needed to come back to New Zealand and race Tarawera and then I would need to go to Europe. Um, To compete because that's where a lot of the scene, a lot of the big trail races are.
0: Is it a a big, and then you, I mean, you effectively become a a professional runner, a professional athlete uh, with running it. Is it a big scene in that sense, that pro landscape?
1: It's definitely changed significantly since I began. Yeah, like there's a lot of professional athletes now, so this is their full time, it's our full time job, um, but probably. Maybe five years ago, there wouldn't be as many. Um, there's definitely brands that are really investing heavily into trail running. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely noticed a shift in the past few years. You
0: talk about the massive changes in the last few years. As, as part of that, are we all quite aware of how good it, out, it is out being in nature, how good it is for our mental health? Brands are looking at being very sustainable. Has that brought, I guess, a bit more of an influx into the sport?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely the sustainability aspect of it. But I know when I was living in Taiwan, um, a lot of people were sick of the roads, kind of. They'd done the whole road scene and were looking for a new challenge and that's what Trail kind of brought to them. But I think probably there's also been a shift post-COVID too where um, people have been yeah, more inclined to get into the outdoors and so brands are maybe capitalising on that too.
0: Yeah, What is, uh, what is I guess when you're going back to you uh, got a coach come back into it and be- decided to become this is the thing and, and your job effectively what does that therefore look like what is the difference between just being a runner and then being a professional runner
1: um well I suppose yeah when I was in Taiwan I was actually had started working for Garmin um and so they were really great they were super supportive of me going to Europe and and competing in that but when I was in living in, in Taipei it was I had to train at five in the morning because of the heat. It would be too hot. Um, and then I had to have an hour fifteen commute on the subway to work. Oh. And then uh, hour fifteen after work and then I was doing coaching for Garmin as well. Um, and then my training in the in the evening and I was getting home at like 10 PM at night. Uh, and so obviously when I went full time into running it was I just had to have more time not just for training, but the recovery, like I was taking those stresses out of my life, the commute and, and also all the extra things I was doing. And so I think it just gave me, my body, a bit more of an opportunity to be more in the performance mindset. Um, and so it helped significantly. Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot of athletes say that it's not necessarily the, the time to train, it's the time to recover um, when yeah. you're not having to do your foam rolling while you're on the work phone sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you can just just remove a lot of that stress that you had. Um, and so, yeah, getting better quality sleep, longer sleep, and, yeah, those sort of things.
0: What does training look like? What does a, a training day or a training week look like?
1: Um, it just depends whereabouts in the cycle I am, what I'm, what I'm training for, uh, what sort of race, what distance and that. But probably a pretty standard week is around 100 to 140K a week. Um, So it's just running and then two to three gym sessions a week and there's some time cross-training on the bike as well. Uh, But that's probably probably in a nutshell and then within the week you'd have like maybe one or two long runs or maybe it'd be two back-to-back long runs depending, yeah, if you're closer to the race or not and then a couple of sessions, two or three sessions and then the rest is easy days, really.
0: Well, we'll talk. We'll, I'll take another quick break here and then we'll talk long run, runs because I think your idea of a long run and other people's idea <laughs> of a long run are very different. Stay with us here on SENZ. We're talking to uh, trail runner, ultramarathon runner, Ruth Croft. More in a moment. Thanks for being with us on SENZ today, where my guest on Trail Blazers is Ruth Croft. You're talking about uh, long runs. Um, you, you do some quite significant long runs. I, I think probably the most recent one we've been reading about was uh, the Western States endurance run which was 100 miles 161 kilometers where do you even begin to go that's the sort of challenge i want to take on
1: um so once you're in the the trail running world there's quite a lot of hype around 100 miles and so i'd initially when i first got into trail running kind of decided i wanted to go down that route and realized i didn't really have the experience and i needed to spend a bit more time doing shorter distances before stepping it up um, and then it was the last kind of couple of years. I'd done a lot of the same races, racing against the same woman and was ready for a new challenge. And so that's when I decided to step up to 100 miles. But up until that point, my longest race had been in the Dolomites 120K. So 14 hours running, um, 14 and a half. So it wasn't Western States. I finished and the first time I did it was 17 and a half hours. And so the step up wasn't wasn't too bad time wise. Um, yeah and I'd got the, a ticket it's really hard to get into western states and so I got a ticket to get into it um, so yeah decided to take a bit of crack
0: I mean I, I imagine it's not the sort of thing you do on the regular you're not just going to go do a, a 100 mile 160k race every couple of weeks so how many of these no. kind of they're effectively endurance adventure ultra marathons are there around the world that you would target to do
1: um, for me personally, I can do, I believe I can do one a year. Right. But then I, mean, I compete against other women on the circuit who would do maybe, some would do like three or possibly four. Um, but I have found that my recovery post 100 miles is very slow. Uh, I think specifically because Western States is such a, a running race. So you can get like a mountainous 100 miles where you'll spend some time, quite a bit of time hiking. Um, but Western States, you, we were running in 40 plus degree temperatures. Um, and so for me, it's taken like three plus months to fully recover mentally and physically. Wow. So you can't really turn around a lot of those in one year.
0: So, so what's the what's the usual circuit then
1: that you would do uh, outside
0: d- of these ultra ultra endurance races?
1: Um. So yeah, you have because I run for the team media Terrex. Right. And, within a year, we have main races, the team races that they would like us to be at. Um, So on the circuit, Western States or UTMB in France, Ultra Trail de Mont Blanc, they're kind of the main ones. Um, And then outside of that, you can kind of choose some other team races or races that you, in places that you want to do or you're motivated to train for. So yeah, for me, that. In a year, I just had Western States as my A race, and then everything around that was kind of as a training race, as a building race into Western States, or just something as I wanted to do later on. Yeah.
0: It's, what does a, a preparation, even the mechanics of think of of a build up towards a hundred mile, one hundred and sixty one k Western States endurance run look like?
1: It's, personally, it like didn't change drastically to how I train. Right. For my other ones, just because 100 miles, you can't run 100 miles as a training run. Um, <laughs> so I think the main difference I did was like Saturday and Sunday in the build-up. And this wasn't even every weekend. It would be like you'd do two long runs. So you'd do maybe a six-hour run on the Saturday and then a four-hour run on Sunday. Um, but obviously, you can't keep piling up more mileage because yeah, it is at a point where you're just dipping into your recovery. You can't bounce back as quickly. Um, so, yeah, even though I was racing 100 miles, my mileage at, at the max for a week was around 100, 160. And that was only for a couple of weeks.
0: And then, so then take us through this race, uh, 100 miles, 160. I have to keep converting it to Ks um, in, in, mm-hmm. my, in my brain. And um, in, in you talk in extreme heat, um, in incredible conditions. I'd imagine the mental challenge is almost as great as the physical one, if not greater.
1: Yeah definitely and I think especially this year my build up has gone well I had an Achilles issue and then five weeks out I got COVID um, and so normally I get a lot of mental strength knowing that the physical like my training's gone smoothly and gone well Um, and this year that hadn't been the case and so I really did have have to work on the mental side of things but when you when you're on the start line of, of 100 miles you're not thinking it's 100 miles you're thinking okay like when's the first aid station or when will I see my crew? So you can have uh, your your crew who will see you at certain aid stations and they will help you with like your, all your refueling and helping keep you cool and everything. Um, but it is like um, people who are on the start line of Western States. As I said, it's a really hard race to get into. Um, everyone's absolutely stoked to be there. And it's just a massive adventure to get from um, Olympic Valley to Auburn in California. And so yeah, it's a journey um, and there's, in the 100 miles there's 16 aid stations um, and that accounted for about 4 kgs of ice per runner per aid station. Uh, so there's plenty of opportunities to try and get your core temperature down. Um, so it's just like you're kind of just focusing on what do I need to do at that moment to keep be able to keep moving. And so it's like am I eating all my nutrition for the hour? Have I, yeah, am I keeping myself cold? So, um, yeah, you're just kind of trying to prevent small problems becoming b- big problems down the track.
0: Is there ever ever any time to think of anything else? Is it just a pure focus? You're not sort of you, – you, your mind can't wander to go, oh, I'd really like to go and do that next week, or, oh, I've got to finish my book, or something like that. Is it – but it's pure focus?
1: Um, no, you're definitely – like, I, mean, I like to talk a lot um, <laughs> to people around me, especially at the beginning. Um, and then you're actually – because – Western States, they say the race doesn't start till the 100K mark. Um, And then at the 100K mark, you're allowed to pick up a pacer, so they run with you. Um, And so I actually my pacer for both years has been Alex Varner, and he, like I chose him, he's a great friend, but he also can, like, he's just got great chat as well. (laughs) And so he just makes me forget that I'm even running or that you're in a world of pain. Um, So that definitely helps. But, yeah, your mind will wander. Um, but at the end, especially like the last kind of 30 K you, yeah, you get into a bit of a cave and it's about just accepting that that's where you are, that you that you have chosen to be here, that it's an amazing opportunity that you're here and just trying to make, like not trying to, yeah, not trying to avoid being in the pain cave. It's just totally total acceptance of where you are right then and there.
0: Yeah. Can you describe, I guess, what the physical feeling is at the end of something like that. And as you say, it took you three months or three months of recovery from, from a race like that?
1: Um, I always feel like a shell of, of a human. Like everything just swells up, my feet will swell up. Um, and just in a world of pain, like obviously you've been eating like your gels for yeah, close to 17 hours. Most people, um, and so that obviously wreaks havoc on your gut. Mm. Um, you feel like you are sick. Sometimes you, you people throw up as well. I remember we had um, we had doping control, um, and it was like a finish line tent, and there was all the elites just like. You would think it's like a war zone, <laughs> people on stretches, like some people are on IVs and then you're just like, this is such a messed up sport, like we do this, like the state we get ourselves into, um, but slowly day by day things get better, Um be able to get a bit of movement, get everything um, going, but uh, it just takes, yeah, for me I have quite a deep fatigue, but eventually um, I'll shut down running and not train for a few weeks and, and then things will start to turn around slowly.
0: In the nicest possible way, I can't even imagine what your feet must look like.
1: Oh, yeah, it's <laughs> I just say my partner definitely did not go out with me <laughs> for my feet. <laughs> oh, my
0: goodness. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, is is are there any of these big ones that you've done, and we're talking about the Western States one mainly, but there has been others as well, where you've gone, no, I, I cannot, there, there is nothing left, and that you have somehow found something left and you've
1: kept going? I think you always you always find something more, and it doesn't even have to be in the in the long ultras. It's even in the in the shorter races as well. You're always um, able to do much more than I think. You always you believe that you can, um, and it's just tapping into the kind of that mental energy that you need to to get that that next like five percent out of yourself. So I think yeah, but it's great. Ultra running puts you in these situations where you have the opportunity to, to dig deeper um so it's a great kind of learning environment to see what you're actually made of
0: and am i right is it um men and women you all go off you all start at the same time and away you go yep yep which uh, and and i mean as i say you are one of the best in the world but is it is it very much you all feel on a living level playing field there's none of the what we see in other sports about the sort of a superiority or inferiority anything like that between the the guys and the girls
1: um, I think there's still always room for improvement and trail running. Like I've come, come across it, especially when I first started out where men and women didn't have equal prize money, um, or it would be, it would go to like one to 10 for prize money for men, but only one to five for women. Um, but I think there is a lot more awareness around it now and there has been a shift. I think there's always progress to be made, um, especially in some aspects of just coverage. Uh, obviously, I think sometimes men still get more coverage and visibility compared to the woman. Um, but overall, I think it's moving in the right direction.
0: It's just staggering, is it? You know, you all go off, you're doing exactly the same distances and still some of the old things that we see in so many elements of sport persist. It's very frustrating.
1: Yeah yeah but then there's been some great like we've got Courtney DeWalter who's yeah she's won pretty much every ultra under the world and she's like beaten a lot of men in that and so she's just yeah she's done like phenomenal and I think she's really helped bring a bit more spotlight to women in the sport which has been great too. Awesome.
0: We're talking with uh, Ruth Croft here on Trailblazers today about her ultra running, trail running career. One more quick break and we'll be back with a little bit more in just a moment here on SENZ. You've been listening today to Trailblazers on SENZ where my guest is Ruth Croft. Uh, Ruth, you're talking about, um, I guess, the, the challenges you put your body through. You must be incredibly in tune with your body and your mind. How do you work on that side of your sport?
1: Um, so I think obviously it's the the mental side that' I probably put a lot more work into the last kind of few years because I think as we grow up, we're not really taught how our mind works mm. or the stories that we're telling ourselves or any of that. And so um, yeah, I started doing going to Vipassana, which was ten days silent meditation retreat. And so every year, I normally at the end of the season or after a big race, I try to do go and do a retreat like that because um, I think, yeah, as humans we're always evolving, we're always changing and it's a good way to learn um, just a bit more about myself and also ways of facing myself too.
0: Cause is there after these big races and, and not even these ultras, you know, that your regular series that you're on, is there the a bigger, an elation and a sense of achievement but does a crash come with that as well?
1: Um, Not so much I don't find because, yeah, like I love running and it's my passion is my job but it's not everything to me um so I'm studying uh naturopathy on the side as well so I feel like I have I've got to that point where I have quite a good balance um but previously yeah that's probably been a downfall where I did put everything into running um and so now I'm a bit more aware that running is just running um even though it probably yeah it's it, I spend a lot of time doing it it's it's not everything to me. I'm not defined by it either.
0: Yeah, I can, you, you know, I can imagine it's something that you could get really obsessive about, like like anything. What what do you, what else, you've got your studies, how do you get away from it and, and just chill?
1: Um, I, find, I actually find it quite hard because once I leave New Zealand to go overseas, I um, obviously don't come back and so I, I do feel like I am living in quite a running bubble. Um, yeah. I hang out with a lot of runners and it's, But I think that time I come back to New Zealand, I come back to the West Coast is the time that's very grounding. It's like I'm around people who don't care that I run, (laughs) don't care that I run really far or anything like that. And so I think even though I'm training while I'm on the coast and I do probably like the big chunk of my training for the year, it doesn't feel like it's my job. It's kind of, yeah, I feel like I can step away from that running identity for a bit.
0: You mentioned before, and I've read a couple of things where you've talked about, I guess, the privilege of of doing what you do, even though you put your body through absolute hell through the through the ringer, um, and it takes such a toll on it. But I guess, is it the privilege of what these great machines can do for us, what our what our bodies can do for us?
1: Oh yeah, I think it's it's amazing what our bodies can do, and as you said, like it is a privilege, like to be on the start line of any trail race. It's a it's a privilege to get to choose. Yeah, self-inflicted suffering to get that ability to see, um, how far you can push it. So I, yeah, I always remind myself of that. Um, but also, yeah, a lot of great can come from trail running. And I know you said you're not a, you're not a runner, but <laughs> you can always become a runner. But, um, there's just some amazing stories. And I always talk about like one that happened last year at the end of, uh, uh, Lake Year in the south of France. It was an 85k trail race. and a lot of the elites and that we go down to watch the last runners come in. And one of the last runners was this guy called Julian who was from the area. Um, He crosses the finish line and just starts crying and his two daughters go and his wife and they're all crying. Um, And we learned like he'd lost a significant amount of weight for the past 10 years and his goal had to been to finish like racing Le Templier. And I just think there's, yeah, there's amazing stories like that where people have – Overcome, yeah, significant things like cancer or, uh, yeah, yeah, losing weight, and got themselves to the end of an ultra. And I think that's the that's where the magic happens and the cool things uh, to see as well.
0: I would be, I I started to well up just telling I would be in floods of tears. It looks like watching Iron Man or anything like that, and you see the weekend warriors who've done something like that at the end, and it is incredibly emotional.
1: It is because like everyone says, oh, like elite runners, like they're amazing but it's like well it's our job yeah. <laughs> we do this every day but it's the people at the back of the pack who obviously they have family other commitments full-time jobs and then they're out in the conditions like for us 100 miles of western states the top ones that finish females are 17 17 and a half hours but the cutoff time is 30 hours oh. and so people the back of the pack people are out there for a whole another night they're in that heat for a whole night and in some of the day as well and so I think that's yeah, it's amazing what the, yeah, back of the packers go through to get to that finish line. Yeah,
0: You, you mentioned right at the start about the flow state. Do you, do you get that often? Do you feel, and, and a lot of athletes talk about when just everything is perfect and just, you're in that mindset. Do you get a flow state often in what you
1: do? No, not very often. And I think, yeah, you often, people think that every day in training, like, as an elite like you feel great and that's not the case at all I think most of the time you feel horrible um, and those flow state moments are pretty few and far between
0: do you have a favorite event or a favorite place you raced or or even that you've just run that you've trained in or you've just gone out and and, and
1: enjoyed the most um my favorite event in New Zealand would be Old Ghost Ultra oh. um yeah it's I'm probably a bit biased but it's an amazing trail but also yeah it's what they've done for that event is very inclusive and yeah, it's just a great day out. Um, And they, they don't just recognize the front of the pack. They recognize everyone. Like they have an award for biggest day out, which is the last 10 runners. And yeah, I think it's an awesome event in New Zealand. Um, So yeah, that probably my favorite.
0: You could totally allow to be biased. That's absolutely fair. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so what's next? What's on the agenda? What's ahead for 2023?
1: Yeah, so we head to Madeira, which is a Portuguese island off the coast of Africa in April, and I'll do an ultra there. I think it's 115k. Um, And then my main race of the year will be UTMB, which is 170k, and then 10,000 meters of climbing, um, and that starts in Chamonix in France, and you circumnavigate um, Mont Blanc. You start in France, run into Italy, Switzerland, and then back into France.
0: And you say, a 170
1: yeah, 170. Wow, yeah. Do you ever yeah.
0: get to, do you are you ever able to soak up that the places that you are, like Chamonix and, and all of that, like incredible locations?
1: Yeah, totally. And I'm pretty lucky with the team that I run with Adidas Asterix, they often rent out chalets before the event, um, so that we can go there and train, um, over the course. And so it's a pretty good um, atmosphere with the rest of the team. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously, you're not totally in race mode yet, so you can enjoy it. Yeah
0: oh absolutely amazing fascinating I could talk for ages it just blows my mind and maybe I don't know well I still don't know if I'll get running but I might go for a walk in the (laughs) bush and and just take a baby step that way
1: yeah you definitely don't have to step straight up into ultras (laughs) like around New Zealand some amazing like short shorter um trail races Yeah.
0: yeah cool well all the very best for everything um ahead for the year thank you so much Ruth Croft for being on trailblazers it's been a real pleasure
1: yeah thanks family